0: All right. Morning, everyone. Um, Yeah, so this morning we are starting a series on the book of Psalms. Isn't this great? This graphic right here. This is, uh, what is that word cloud with all the words um, used in the book of Psalms? And the larger the word, the more often it's used. So it's pretty cool. So every once in a while, we take a time uh, here at New Day, uh, now Sunday morning, to focus a little bit more on a section of Scripture. And that can be a book or it could be a chapter or a series of chapters. And um, uh, for, the next, for this week and the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms. And as I um, provide um, an initial overview to the book, I, I want to kind of get into for a moment just why I feel like it's an important area of the Bible for us to focus on. But um, I don't want to presume that you maybe know a whole lot about the book of Psalms, and I want to start this morning and just give a really brief um, overview of what the book is. And then as we go through this morning's sermon, we're going to look at a couple of psalms in particular. Psalm 1 and Psalm 24. We'll read those together and then we'll pray and uh, kind of reflect on those a little bit. And um, it'll kind of be a pattern then that we'll follow for the next two weeks of just reading these psalms together. And uh, really, I want these um I want us to approach scripture and just really let it speak to us directly and, um, and just let so that we can kind of soak in the scriptures together. And so as uh, we're considering these psalms, I just encourage you to let them uh, soak in and to kind of soak in them and let them kind of just really begin um, to work in your life. Well, the book of Psalms is the largest book in the Bible. And so for some people, it's a little intimidating. You're like, okay. There's 150 of these psalms in the book as a whole. It's a collection of 150 individual psalms. And so sometimes you're not sure where to start. For many of us, we just go to the five psalms that we know really well and we like really well. We kind of feel like that's safe territory because we know them, we love them, and uh, we tend to think, let's just stick to that territory because that's like safe ground, right? But the book of Psalms, there's so much more, right? And those 145 Psalms that you might not know very well. There's a lot of really great stuff in there. And it's challenging, and it's really, it's real. It's, it's where Scripture is very real. And it um, displays a range of situations and emotions that can be a great guide for us. Um, the name Psalms comes not from the original Hebrew, but it comes from um, the Greek translation of the book of psalms and it's from the greek word to mean to pluck the string of an instrument so that's uh that's where the name psalms has come from and that's what we've kind of borrowed when we've translated the book into english we borrowed it from greek but in hebrew the original name means uh, praises or songs of praise so both from the greek translation and the hebrew we see that intimate connection between what we're going to read and the fact that these Were first used in music and in worship. So these Psalms have always, from their very beginning, been tied with being set to music and in the worship of God by his people. These Psalms came from the Old Testament period, and they would have been used for different events that they would have uh, the Israelites would have been um, part of to worship God, different festivals, different occasions. And there are lots of different types of psalms for, um, for all of the different purposes. So you might be tempted to think that there's just one like set way to write a psalm and then we just have like some of the words changed and it's a variation on one theme. But in reality, there's lots of different types of psalms. And so you're going to see that as you read through them. For example, there are psalms that are praising God And towards the end of the book of Psalms, you'll see that especially. There are Psalms giving thanks, Thanksgiving Psalms, pouring out thanksgiving to God. There are lament Psalms where um, the writer of that Psalm is in a real place of sorrow and lament. And we're going to look more at those two categories next week of Thanksgiving and lament. There are also royal psalms, and these would have been used in occasions, like royal occasions. So, for example, when a king was being crowned, during that coronation ceremony, there was a psalm that would have been used and spoken or sung during that ceremony. And then there are also a collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. And these would have been used as people came. So there was multiple times a year when the Israelites would go to Jerusalem to uh, make sacrifice, to worship for a festival. And these would have been used um, by, the, um, by the people as they walked together, as they proceeded up to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, for, for those of you who know, the city of Jerusalem is set up on a hill. And so as they physically were going up into the city, they would have sung these psalms together. And that's why they're called the songs of ascent. The Psalms are, are poetry, and so in our modern, uh, more modern English translations, you see that a little bit more clearly. They're laid out in the form of lines, as if it's a poem. And in our English um, poetry, you know, one of the skills that we learn is that you have to make poems rhyme, right? So we know that there's poems that don't rhyme, but they're just not as good, right? I mean, <laughs> poems should rhyme, and so. Um, so that's what we're taught. So, you know, poems also have a cadence. They have the meter, you know, and they kind of learn that, right? And so and when you have to do the, the writing assignment and write a poem, you often default to the fat cat sat on the mat. That's okay. We've all done it. And, you know, you're like, okay, that works. You know, there's a rhythm to it. It rhymes from start to finish. So you're on safe ground there. Well, whenever the Israelites were writing the book of Psalms, they weren't concerned with rhyme. That wasn't how they wrote poetry. And instead, what they would do is a thing called parallelism, where they would write one line, and then they would, in the next, very next line, kind of repeat that sentiment, but word it slightly differently. And so instead of rhyming, you have something called parallelism. And there's lots of different types of parallelism, but that's the basic overview of how these poems are structured. Now, we also see, because they're poetry, we see a lot of visual imagery, emotion, and they're very, very highly structured. These are not people just journaling one night before they go to bed and and somehow made it into the Bible. These are very highly structured pieces of Scripture. They're put together in a very intentional and complex way. That's not to say that the message of Psalms, and when we read it, we can't understand it. The message comes across light and clear because they've spent so much time Putting them together and weaving these psalms together, we tend to think also that King David wrote the entire book of Psalms. That's because he writes the ones that we really like best. But really, um, he only wrote about 73 of the 150 psalms that we have. So some of them do not have anyone; they're not. There's no like author byline. This psalm was written by. So some of them we just don't know, but most of them we do. And like I say, David. 73. Uh, we have other groups of people or individuals. Asaph wrote 12. The sons of Korah wrote 11, and even Moses has a psalm in there, Psalm 90, which is a really good one. So the book of Psalms have always been tied with worship, but and it's not just corporate worship. They've always also been tied with um, personal devotion throughout the history of Israel and the history of the church and the earliest Christians very quickly uh, picked up on the fact that they should use the Psalms in worship. And so you'll see um, the book of Psalms, you'll see individual Psalms quoted extensively throughout the New Testament. Even Christ, when he was on the cross, quoted a Psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Direct quotation, Psalm 22, 1. And the Psalms were used extensively in Christian worship. And that's continued through church history to this present day, where songs and prayers are influenced directly by the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms has always been able to somehow capture and harness how we approach God and how to come before him. And that's why I feel like they're valuable for us to look at today. Uh, We all go through times of... um, Of joy, We all go through times of sorrow. We go through a great deal of different situations and emotions in our lives with high points and with low points. And sometimes those are spread out. Sometimes they come quickly together. Sometimes we can expect them and anticipate them. And sometimes they just seem to come right upon us. We have days of triumph where we uh, get up and the day just seems to unfold. And everything just clicks along great and everything just seems to line up. But we have other days where things just seem to be against us and we can't seem to get anything done or make any headway. We also have days where we really feel the support of friends and we know what it's like to have people come alongside us and support us. But we also have have days where we feel like everyone is against us and that there are people who are directly standing in our way. And there can be many times, if we're honest, where we're just we're just not sure what to do with all of the Situations and emotions and feelings that we have as we respond and relate to these different situations that we experience. And, you know, we begin that kind of internal dialogue and that in- internal conversation with ourselves when we feel betrayed by someone or unloved or misunderstood. Maybe we're facing a sickness or a lack of hope or severe loss. And we begin to have that conversation inwardly what could i have done differently is it just me or is it this other person and and quickly you think ah i should really pray about this i should bring this to god and that's where it gets even more complicated a lot of the times because then you're thinking in what way can i bring this to god in what way can i approach him when i'm angry and disappointed and betrayed when i feel hopeless and I don't even know what to say to God. Should I even try? Can I bring my anger to him and my disappointment and my betrayal and my loss of hope? Can I bring that to God? And if so, then what do I say? So we have those moments of, you know, those low moments in life. But we also have times of triumph or times of great emotional high or just, you know, there's, there's good times as well as bad. And even then... You know, it's, you experience these moments of grace and favor in your relationship with God where you're not quite sure, like, where it came from or maybe what you did different, but something has happened, and you are in this moment of favor. You're in this moment of grace. You're in this moment of blessing. And all you know how to do is receive the goodness of God. You're like, I don't know where this came from, but I just need to receive this from God, and I just need to, to know how to just walk in his love and in his favor right now in this moment. And even then, how do we find the words to give thanks to God for his favor and his goodness? You know, oftentimes you find yourself just saying, thanks, God. And it just feels so inadequate and it just feels so like, um, you know, just not quite not quite there. How do we approach God in those moments? Are we reserved when we give thanks to him? Are we muted in our praise? And so again, the Psalms teach us how do you celebrate and come before God and also how do you approach him in those moments of difficulty, distress, and sorrow. So we're going to start with Psalm 1. And uh, before we get to reading it, um, we need to set the scene for it. So the Old Testament is, in our English Bibles, just is like one, just one big section and all the books just kind of flow in a certain order. In the Hebrew uh, Bible, in the original Old Testament order, those books were divided into three main sections. The Law, the the Prophets, and the Writings. The Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. And the first book of each of those three sections helped to kind of set the pattern for what was going to follow in the rest of that section. And even then, the first chapter of each of those books really helped to set a foundation. So ultimately what that means is there's three really important chapters of scripture that helped to set a foundation throughout the Old Testament. That's Genesis chapter one, the first chapter of the law, Joshua chapter one, the first chapter of the prophets, and Psalm one, the first chapter of the writings. And if you look at Genesis chapter one, what do you see? You see that God spoke his words of creation. And he creates, and you might be able to visualize or think through those verses in your mind, where he separates light from dark and where he uh, begins to create everything by his word. And we see his majestic and creative and life-giving nature and spirit. And we see who God is, that he is a creator of all things, including humanity. In Joshua chapter 1, we find a a great turning point and decisive moment in the history of the Old Testament. Moses, the leader who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, has just died. The leadership has transferred to Joshua. And he is wondering, are the people going to follow me? Are they going to listen to me? And if so, how are we going to step into and conquer the promised land of Canaan? And so we know the whole story. We know they were able to go in, and it was great victories. But at this moment in the story, not knowing what's coming, there's great uncertainty. And there's great um, maybe doubt or, um, you know, just Joshua's feeling overwhelmed. And God speaks directly to him. And um, let's just look at a couple of those verses from Joshua 1. God speaks to him and he says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God here affirms Joshua and speaks life-giving words to him and instructs him to meditate on God's word and to obey it. So Genesis 1, God's spoken word brings creation and brings life. The first chapter of that first section of scripture. This first chapter of the second section of the Old Testament, Joshua 1, God again says to Joshua, Obey my word. And we see that he begins, he receives this word, he begins to give instruction to the people, and at the end of that first chapter of Joshua, they affirm that they will follow his leadership. And then finally, the third um, Psalm, third uh, chapter of Psalm 1. The first chapter of this final section of the old testament blessed is the man and you'll see that it talks about the man and he throughout this psalm. but really it's gender neutral it's it's male or female just happens to be the english translation here so blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers And his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law he meditates day and night He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see here the repetition of the words spoken to Joshua in verse 2 of Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. God had told Joshua to meditate upon his law, upon his word, day and night so that he would prosper. You see that same thing echoed in this chapter. And you see that these three chapters of scripture work together to give us a foundation for wisdom, That is a foundation for right living. God speaks creatively in Genesis 1, and he sets the world into creation. He gives life, and he creates humanity. Joshua is told to meditate upon the word of God, and in Psalm 1, the one who is blessed is one who meditates on God's word day and night this word meditate that you see in Joshua chapter 1 and in Psalm 1 we translate that word meditate in both verses it's also the same root word in Hebrew and it means literally to murmur or to groan have you ever eaten a really big meal that was just so good and afterwards you're like oh man that was really good oh yeah really oh, that chicken was great those potatoes oh, did you like those potatoes that oh, was so good Yep, and you're murmuring and you're probably groaning a little bit uh. yeah that's the image to meditate on God's word so there's deep wisdom to be had for us in general in life and meditating on God's word and allowing it to structure our lives and guide our steps and so um, so that's the wisdom of Psalm 1. So let's turn to Psalm 24. It's the second psalm we'll look at this morning. It says, "The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. For He founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol." Or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. That the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors. That the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. So, this psalm was almost certainly used either on the original occasion of the Ark of the Covenant being brought by King David into the city of Jerusalem, or in ceremonies after the fact that would celebrate it. But either way, this psalm has been connected with that occasion. So you may remember that occasion from Scripture. And the um, the Ark of the Covenant is um, the centerpiece of um, the, the symbolism of the presence of God with his people. And it had been staying um, outside of the city of Jerusalem. And um, David, King David, had captured and conquered that city and established um That as his capital city the place where he lived and where his rule went from and it was time to bring The ark of of the covenant God's presence into the city of jerusalem And so there was a great procession and a great uh, event to bring this ark of the covenant into the city of jerusalem And they would carry the ark of the covenant every six steps. They would have to stop and make sacrifices And so very slowly and deliberately, they are bringing the presence of God into the city of Jerusalem. And as the first verses go out, there's a reminder that even though God is being brought into this one physical city and this one physical space, that it is, in fact, the whole earth that belongs to him. And this is a declaration that says, you know, God isn't in this little box. He's going to be placed in this tent and ultimately in a temple. This is merely a symbol of the fact that God is close with his people, but he is still the ruler of all, and he still created all people. It also points directly back to Genesis chapter 1, that God is your creator. And so you see these deep themes of wisdom throughout Scripture. Uh, verses 3 to 6, the emphasis shifts, and these two questions ask, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? Essentially, these questions are saying, who can stand to be in the presence of God? Who, who can stand to be in the presence of God? How can humanity, sinful humanity, be in the same physical place as God's presence? And this was a really fundamental problem in the Old Testament because ever since the fall and the sin of Adam and Eve, there had been uh, a rupture in that relationship. The close relationship humanity once had with God had been affected dramatically and decisively and there was distance between humanity and god and as god's presence is being brought up into the temp or into jerusalem the question is who can even stand to be in the presence of god once it gets there and so the answer rings out those who have clean hands and a pure heart who do not lift up their soul to an idol or swear by what is false They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Clean hands and a pure heart. This wasn't the only time that God entered the city of Jerusalem in a great procession and with fanfare. In the Gospels, we read that Jesus sat on the back of a donkey and rode into this very same city of Jerusalem. And as he did so, the crowds were waved palm branches and they celebrated his entry into the city and he went on his way to die on the cross and it's because of his sacrifice his death his burial his resurrection and ascension into heaven that now we can cry out to God and ask that our hands are made clean that our hearts are made pure so that we may ascend the hill of the Lord and enter into the presence of God Psalm continues, lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors. And you can imagine the scene, the city of Jerusalem would have had a wall around it, it would have had gates. And as the procession reaches closer to the city, they begin to speak or sing or shout to the city itself. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king... And you'd get this sense of people saying to the city itself, come and welcome the king of kings. Come and welcome this king of glory that he may enter in. And verse 6, I love, it talks about people, a generation of those who seek God's face who are hungry for him and who will open up the doors and the gates of their lives to seek after him. In the Old Testament, God was identified by numerous different names, but one of them, one of the most personal names for God is that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he allowed himself to be identified that way. So, if you were an Israelite and you happen to be trading with somebody who was an Egyptian or somebody from a different country who worshipped a different god, one way you would—what god do you follow? I worship the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, okay. I know. I know what that means. In this psalm, God is identified as the god of Jacob, not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just Jacob. And I really love that it just has that particular emphasis because if you think back to the story of Jacob, he was a deceiver and someone who wrestled and struggled with God. And I think what it's telling us is that there are times where we're going to have to wrestle and struggle to get into the holy place, where we're going to have to wrestle and struggle to get into that place of being able to stand in His holiness. And so in our own lives, we do, we wrestle, we struggle to get into the holy place, to stand in His presence. We open wide the doors and the gates of our hearts so that we welcome in the king of glory. And then in turn, we go out and we speak to our community, to our city, and we say, Kalamazoo, would you open up your gates and your doors to welcome in the king of glory. So as we finish this morning, we want to read these psalms together. So let's stand up. And um, what we're going to do is read these together. loud and we'll follow the words on the screen. So we'll read Psalm 1 then we'll pause and I'm going to read a prayer of response and then together we'll stay standing we'll read Psalm 24 and then I'll close by reading a prayer of response to that psalm so let's read this together blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers and on his law he meditates day and night He is like a tree planted by streams of liver. He fills his fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pause, and I want to read a prayer of response. Let us pray. Teach me, O God, the path of wisdom. Teach me to walk in the counsel of those who are wise, to stand in the midst of the righteous, and to sit with those who speak blessing and truth. Help me, O God, to meditate upon your word, to feast upon it like a rich meal to my body so that I may delight in you. Cause me to be strengthened so that I grow like a tree fulfilling my destiny with leaves that do not wither, yielding fruit in season. Draw close to those who are far from you, I pray. Bring sinners into the assembly of the righteous, of those who know you and your great love and mercy so that they may escape your judgment. Watch over me, I pray, and may your favor draw me close. Amen. Let's read Psalm 24 together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded upon the seas, established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. This is the King of glory. The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Let's pray together. Father God, you are the creator of all things, and you have established the heavens and the earth and all who live in it. I ask that you would give me clean hands and a pure heart that I may draw close to you, that I might enter into your presence and stand in your holy place. Give me a heart of integrity to serve you and not chase after other things unworthy of praise. May my words be truthful so that I may receive your blessing and goodness. Cause a generation to rise up who will seek your face, O God. May they wrestle and struggle until they find you and your favor. O God, I ask that the doors would be opened in my life that you may enter in. I thank you that I am part of this church family that welcomes you and exalts you. Come to this church, this community, this city, O King of Glory. And may you receive all honor and glory. Amen. 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 You may be seated.